Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you Tuesday, January 26th. Welcome one and all in now to talk about Gamecocks, Gamecock related items here. Uh, appreciate every one of you listening. Just a note about Friday's episode. Uh, I hit the button to upload it, right? And uh, <laughs> user era, uh, it scheduled it for um, another time and was had not gone live as of this morning. I went back and fixed it. So you really get two episodes today. You got the Friday mailbag from Friday to catch up on that's already live, and then you've got uh, this one, a fresh one for you right here on a Tuesday. So apologies for that. It's been one thing after another. But I, I'm a one-man band when it comes to this podcast. I don't have any – I don't have a producer, co-host, nothing like that. It's just me, and uh, it's amazing. I can go through years without making any technical errors on the website. Uh, but for some reason, the podcast thing, sometimes – you know, I get fat finger syndrome or whatever and uh, mess things up. So anyway, Gamecocks news uh, coming in uh, early this morning. Taylor Edwards is going to replace Drew Hughes as the director of on-campus recruiting. I think that's the title, maybe director of player personnel, something like that. Uh, Taylor Edwards is a guy that I've, I've followed his career for a while, known about him, know him. Uh, really good job at Maryland. Maryland is a tough place to recruit to. I know Mike Loxley is probably, you know, given his connections to the area, one of those guys that could go in there and do a good job. I know they surprise every now and then by keeping folks home. Uh, it, it's a situation, though, where you have to understand in, in the state of Maryland and in D.C., you know, man, Maryland doesn't really dip in northern Virginia all that well which is crazy because even though it's another state, it's right there in the same area. Uh, College Park sort of inside the Beltway, but uh, or near the Beltway. But th- they don't really do that, you know. They, so they have to kind of go north. I mean, they're in the Big Ten. Uh, and you have your Penn States, Ohio States, Michigan's Notre Dame's of the world, all active in that area, plus a lot of teams from the SEC go up there to D.C., Maryland, and recruit. So the competition is thick. And they don't always win. So uh, that's tough. That's tough. They don't have that winning tradition. Uh, and they're in the toughest division in football. So it's not a situation at Maryland where it's easy. And he going in there, and I think they had the 18th ranked uh, class in the country um, and kept a large majority of players at home. Uh, and he's the kind of the guy behind the scenes that does that. So that's a good track record. He was also at Arkansas where they did not win. Uh, under Chad Morris, but if you sort of look at their recruiting during the time, especially Justin Stepp being on that staff, uh, they won some recruiting battles, and it always sort of made sense uh, for him. So that's uh, that's one of those things uh, that you sort of look at and say, well, this guy, he's been at places that have similar challenges to South Carolina and has done well uh, in the face of those challenges. And I think that's what you need is somebody that sort of understands that. You know, Drew Hughes was an excellent, excellent, did an excellent job for his one year there. Uh, before that, Matt Lindsay, I thought, you know, did a good job. Uh, you can't just judge everything with some of these guys off the field. And the job they do based on wins and losses, 
although that is the bottom line. Uh, I do think, though, that Taylor Edwards is a, is a good hire, uh, and he's a guy certainly that, you know, from my understanding, really uh, another player that or another coach that wanted to be at South Carolina, and obviously that's very, very important because if you're trying to establish a new culture, uh, you, you need everybody kind of rowing in the same direction. Well, speaking of people not rowing in the same direction, how about Tracy Rocker? Okay, so so Rocker, and again, I still think Tracy Rocker is a great defensive line coach. So th- th- this doesn't change my opinion on Tracy Rocker, the coach. I, I just think, man, this is kind of a, an interesting move. You know, he, he leaves to go to Auburn. He's on that staff for, what, a week and a half. Uh, and then he leaves and goes with the Philadelphia Eagles to coach their defensive line, according to reports. Uh, so that's uh, that's pretty interesting, uh, in my opinion, to, to bounce there. You, you'd heard about him in the NFL while he was at Carolina, uh, and the Auburn thing just sort of popped up out of nowhere. But, you know, you look at it now, and that's where he's going. So I think uh, – that's just interesting. You know, we talked about Rocker leaving and going to Auburn, and then <laughs> then he leaves Auburn right away uh, and goes to the Eagles. I, I think this. Uh, I think Tracy Rocker makes, makes his decisions based on, you know, what Tracy Rocker wants, which is what you should do. I mean, everybody does that. We all do that. I also believe this. You're going to see more college coaches want to go to the NFL anyway uh, because there's about to be a brave new world in recruiting coming up with the portal, the name image likeness thing. It's going to fundamentally change recruiting. Uh, And it already has. I mean, look at South Carolina's class uh, this year and so many guys they've taken out of the portal already. uh, And probably there's going to be more. So you have a situation where, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be not going to be like it used to be. And, And it's been changing over the years. You know, it, it changed when they went to the early signing. I think that back to cycle up about six months in terms of when you evaluate, when you want to have a bunch of offers out, when you're setting up your board, uh, all that good stuff. That that moved it back a bit, uh, and now with with this the transfer thing, it's 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 almost going to be perpetual recruiting, uh, and, and that includes the guys that you have on campus. So you better have an enjoyable environment <laughs> because. The, the players have the option to just go and leave. And um, we talk about free agency in college football. That's exactly what it's going to be. You're going to have two ways now to acquire your, uh, you know, your, your talent. One is through recruiting high schools, junior college players, and the other is uh, recruiting transfer portal players, free agents. Just like the NFL, that's how they change their roster as well. So we'll see. I, I think I think if you're South Carolina specifically looking at it, you, you want to be fundamentally great with the portal and very resourceful with it. I think that when you, when you look at the guys South Carolina's gotten in the portal this time, there there are a lot of players. You know, there's some that are kind of older players that you know Jordan Strong, who who you know they're veterans. They're going to come play at a higher level for another year what have you. But then there's some guys that because of this weird whacked out year with COVID didn't, um, didn't, you know, ha- didn't have to have a play this year. Red shirt. Um, 
And uh, so it's just like recruiting a, a high school player. Williams and Spalding all both have five to play five. I think I've said that before, so don't want to repeat myself too much. But, you know, guys like that, they, you call them eraser prospects because it erases the fact that your school and whatever other school uh, that should have been recruiting them <laughs> did not, and they went to a smaller level school. We'll see how they all turn out. But because of that, and they get back, you know, to saying this about Rocker, I, I don't blame him for going to the NFL. And I, I think I think you're going to see a lot of college coaches, if they get the chance to go coach on that level, they're going to do it because being a college coach is changing. The, the responsibilities are changing. The, the things you have to pay attention to are changing. And I think that job is going to get harder. I, I think when you look at the money, NFL tends to pay a little bit more for a position coach. But if you're on a great staff somewhere, and you, you may be making more than your NFL counterparts. But it's it's football 24 hours a day. Uh, and you're not worried about the uh, recruiting angle all the time. So that's, uh, that's the deal there. So I, I don't blame Tracy Rocker for going to the Eagles. I didn't blame him for going to Auburn. It's his alma mater. Uh, so we'll see what happens right there. Speaking of Auburn, uh, I, I know most of you Gamecock fans probably aren't going to really like Auburn too much after after all this. Uh, the Tigers basketball team comes into Columbia and blows away the Gamecocks this weekend, Saturday. Watched most of that game. Carolina was uh, hapless on defense. Didn't really have an answer offensively with for, for Auburn. It's an Auburn team that's not even going to the NCAA tournament this year that's not as good as the teams uh, in the back, uh, you know, in the back pass that they've had that have gone uh, for Bruce Pearl to the big dance. I am uh, – I don't know. I, I'm just uh, – I don't know what to say about this basketball team. I know they've been hit with COVID and they haven't had a chance to practice as much and haven't had a chance to – play as much and have missed some opportunities, but it's just, it's just another disappointing season in a string of disappointing seasons across all men's sports at South Carolina. Uh, And and I understand that's what you're going through as fans. Uh, And I hate it for Frank Martin because there's probably no other coach I have more respect for. Uh, And, and what, what it's done to sort of a, a year that's set up pretty nicely for the Gamecocks. Uh, you know, you get A.J. Lawson back. Cousinard's a guy that made some noise last year. You know, you add Seventh Woods. You, you've got – your big guys are a year older, although only Levesque is playing right now. Keyshawn Bryant uh, has taken another step, shows that at times. Uh, and then Manaya is healthy. So this is, this is a team that injury-wise – the last couple of years hadn't been firing on all cylinders, but it, you know, it, a lot of the key players are there with the exception of, you know, the, the reserves uh, below. So Levesque has to play a lot of minutes, uh, but this team's not playing defense. It, they're, they're not, they weren't good on defense against LSU after about the first 35 minutes. They weren't good on defense against Missouri at all. And they were flat out awful on defense against Auburn. Um, and, you know, is, is it similar to football where we're going to see that? I haven't, you know, I've seen some teams play good defense in basketball this year, so I don't know. So we'll see what happens. I, you know, I'm, I'm not all that super duper confident about this team uh, anymore. I thought for sure they'd turn it around. They do play Georgia 
tomorrow night at 7 p.m. on ESPN2, and then at Vanderbilt, uh, which is their Stravanti struggling, but we know how the Gamecocks sometimes don't do all that well up there. And then you go to Florida. I mean, it, it's a it, – it, it, I don't know. It, it's just going to be tough for them to turn it around and get any kind of momentum, barring like a crazy, you know, winning eight out of nine type of thing. And and that's that's just very, very, very disappointing if you're the Gamecocks, uh, in my opinion. It's just very, very tough. And you think back at the opportunities they could have had. Uh, you know, Clemson's had a good year in basketball, don't get me wrong, although I think they've kind of fallen off their last couple of games. But, but there's nothing that says at home Carolina wouldn't have beaten them if they'd have gotten in a rhythm and Wofford and SC State. And then uh, at Kentucky, obviously Kentucky's been – struggling bad badly you know so and playing those games and getting wins like that would have given them momentum and then as soon as they you know started sec play you get momentum against a&m you got two opportunities at old miss of tennessee that get taken from you and then you don't play again for 10 days and had lsu on the ropes and then you go down i mean it, it's just and it's gotten worse you know the last three you know last three games once they've gotten into it so We'll see what happens there. I don't – I'm not going to sit here and blow any sunshine about these guys. I think that they need a couple of wins in a row to kind of get back above water and then go from there, and even then it looks like a long shot. So that's severe. That's that's extremely disappointing because I think two years ago when they had the bad start, lost to some teams they you know probably shouldn't have lost to in the preseason, and they turn it around – uh, and and they finished eleven and seven in the league, and you know top. I guess they were top four. Were they top four that year? And everybody's you know fired up. Then they lose to Auburn, and so you know they they're technically below five hundred because of the the Division two game, and uh, so they don't even make the NIT. And then you come back last year, and you know that team sort of was a victim of, of some bad losses like Stetson, you know, and they came back and started playing well during, you know, the, uh, the conference play yet again. And uh, it ended at 10 and eight and they, they lost a game to Vanderbilt. They shouldn't have lost. And, and that was really, really, really difficult. So you sort of just look at it and it's like, well, <laughs> uh, here we go again. Yeah, right there kind of as a team that could be good but isn't. Uh, and then, of course, COVID, they would have gone to the NIT last year, but COVID uh, took that postseason away from everybody. So we'll see what happens with hoops. I'm, um, uh, you know, I'm, like I said, uh, the movie keeps replaying over and over and over again. And, and look, I, I feel bad because I think they've got individually good players in – that's been that's been proven, you know. When these when these guys play like a team and play together, and you don't have some stupid rush shots, and, and they're just the slightest bit patient offensively, and when they play that defense that they're supposed to play, this group can play basketball with anybody in the league, you know. So, folks that want to blame this on star ratings, I think, are very misguided. Frank can't recruit. Well, he's got the players. I mean, I, you know, so it, 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 is it coaching? I, maybe the 
sometimes when you coach, you know, it's not like that you're a bad coach. You're just not reaching your guys. Uh, I think when you do put a lot of emphasis on practice, like Frank Martin does that, uh, when you miss that practice time, that's tough. See, it's not just missing the games that's, that's been killing these guys. They haven't practiced a whole lot. And so hopefully, you know, they get into the, uh, get into the groove and, uh, and go from there. But, uh, it's, it's just very disappointing. Super Bowl is set for those of you that watched it. Kansas city chiefs are back. And, uh, how about Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? I I I watched the Bucs play earlier this year against the Saints. It was in Tampa, and the Saints just obliterated them. Uh, of course, the Bucs got revenge in the playoffs, uh, at playoffs, and they come back and go up to Green Bay, Wisconsin, and win, which I think is tremendous. That's that's tough to do. Uh, and so the GOAT, Tom Brady, is back in the Super Bowl. How about that? with his new team, and then they play Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Uh, the Gamecocks being represented in in this uh, in the Super Bowl. Chris Lamonts and Rashad Fenton, of course, are back in the Super Bowl. And then Ryan Suckup, the, the grizzled veteran of Gamecock players, the kicker, uh, he's making his first trip to the Super Bowl. So congratulations to Ryan Suckup on that. You know, should be a really good game. I think. I think there's going to be a lot of people that are nostalgic that want Brady to win, and then there's some people that probably hate Brady that don't want him to win and that are pulling for the Chiefs to to to, to go back to back in Andy Reid. So it should be a good game. It's crazy because it's in Tampa, right? And so every year, you know, it, most years the the Super Bowl is played at, at the home stadium of an NFL team. Uh, be it Dallas or Atlanta or Miami or, you know, out they're going to have it, have it out in L.A. where the Chargers and Rams play at some point. Um, you know, New Orleans always hosts the Super Bowl. But there's always, you know, there, there's never been a year ever where that team that's hosting ends up making the Super Bowl until now. And um, <laughs> so what's kind of crazy about that is, is uh, because of COVID, you know, that they're going to have about a crowd of 22,000 in, in, in the stands there instead of 70. <laughs> and so it's like, man, you know, the, the, the Bucks not only make the Super Bowl, but they, they make the Super Bowl uh, and they get to the year that it's, it's in Tampa. So that's awesome. Uh, and then you, you, nobody gets to go. So that that just that's terrible. Uh, if you're if you're Tampa Bay, you're like, oh man, that stinks. But hopefully, like I've said many times, we're over all this stuff uh, once we get uh, we get through it. And um, I, I have I have faith based on what I've read. If you know governments, not just the state or the federal government or the the, the, the executive branch or whatever. The governments in general across our country uh, make smart decisions as far as distribution with the vaccine and all that. Um, I'm talking local on up to the president. I think we'll be fine. And I, and I have faith that that's going to happen. I have a lot of faith that's going to happen. So the COVID Super Bowl, ironically, will have a home team, which is uh, – Imagine the part. I mean, and, and in in Florida, I got. I just went to. I went to Florida. I went to Orlando a couple of weeks ago, uh, and there's not. 
it's not as massively restricted COVID wise as, as some, I mean, it's, you, you still don't want to have large crowds and that's still frowned upon and all that. So there'll be some nice socially distanced parties, I think around Tampa uh, with the bucks in the Super Bowl uh, and playing on their home stadium. So congratulations there. Um, defensive back recruiting Gamecocks have gone into Alabama and offered a new player. Uh, and uh, I like this kid on film, another six foot two defensive back. Let me just say this about Alabama. It's a, uh, it's a place where you look through the history and uh, Carolina Jamarcus King was the last Alabama native, if I'm not mistaken, uh, to come to Carolina as a DB captain Munnerlin, of course, Darian Stewart, two of those three guys are in the NFL. Jamarcus King came during the transition from, Spurrier to Muschamp and had some up moments and down moments, but uh, I think in the last play he made for Carolina was a, the interception at the end of the Outback Bowl, and certainly the Gamecocks don't upset Tennessee that first year if it weren't for Jamarcus King. Uh, and, yeah, I know what Mike Williams did to him and all that, but he was from Mobile and, and a really good player. And, I, you know, Carolina just tends to hit on guys from Alabama. It's it's the, the I can't I could, I remember Jalen Dread, a linebacker from Mobile that was kind of eh, he didn't really turn out. Um, oh, Boozy Whitlow was a kid that transferred that was from Alabama that didn't turn out. But you know you go back Taylor Stallworth was from Alabama and obviously he turned out pretty well. Uh, and you just go back through time, you know, got, even Chris Smelly. I know Chris Milley didn't complete his career at South Carolina and ended up transferring, but at quarterback, he led Carolina to some wins and threw for some yards. So it wasn't, wasn't like he was a bust. So, uh, you know, I just think that, and same with Heath Batchelor that, that started some games that didn't finish his career. So Alabama has been good at the Gamecocks over the years. So I don't, I don't mind this. I think Craig is from the mobile area. That's a hotbed looking at him on film, uh, they, they they need defensive back numbers and help. I think with you get if you get him and you get Jawan Gaston, um, both out of Alabama, that that's a pretty good haul from um, from that state in terms of you know, getting some guys. And I think for that for the year, if you think about it, because they've already got Sam Reynolds and John Darius Morgan, uh, it's a nice foursome out of the state of Alabama. I think I think moving forward, recruiting that state smart when you spot recruit it like that. Uh, and you're just talking about two to four guys. Uh, but but that's kind of the way I see Alabama, Tennessee, Virginia, D.C., Maryland, those states uh, for the Gamecocks. You know, all combined, if you can get four to five out of all those states every cycle, I think you're dealing with some quality. Now, now what you're doing is you're focusing on different types. Uh, you know, if you go into Virginia and you're South Carolina – you know, you're going to be able to find some sleepers in 757 Richmond and Nova without question. But I think you're also able to compete with the highly rated guys from Virginia. Uh, you know, South Carolina won a, a big recruiting battle for Ja'Kai Moore, beat Penn State, beat Clemson on him. You know, I, I don't think that when you're talking about a, a any state that doesn't have an in-state SEC program, I think that South Carolina, you can go in and, and win some battles. That's Virginia, North Carolina, Maryland, D.C. When you're working north-south, uh, you know. So, so I, I think I think 
And at Alabama, though, what you're looking for is guys like they've got now. Now, even though Gaston has an Auburn offer, you got on him first. And Auburn's going through a transition as well. So so maybe maybe you just you scoop him up. You know, you scoop him up and, and, and you know, he hopefully he's happy at Carolina and doesn't want to go home in a year, like I mentioned earlier. But uh, you scoop him up and get him. You know, sort of like Tennessee does every now and then. But that's – you know, that type of guy. And then this Ladarian Craig guy that's kind of a uh, on the radar, late on the radar guy that you like. Those types of players. Because it, it's it's in that state, it, it's a state that's not too much bigger than South Carolina population-wise, but they have a lot more football players. Uh, and I don't know why that is. I think the answer is probably somewhere between geography and also high school coaching uh, not high school coaches. I don't want to say high school coaches because Carolina's got South Carolina's got great high school coaches. I think maybe emphasis on football uh, in that state. Uh, I think kind of some of the rules and what you're allowed to do there are more conducive to producing players. And I think too, it, it makes sense if you think about it. I mean, UAB is pretty good. <laughs> Troy is always pretty good. South Alabama's done some things. So uh, even down to the one AA level, like Jackson State, Jacksonville State. You know, Alabama State, they're all good, good programs, you know. And, and I think I think when you look at our state here in South Carolina, you know, Coastal Carolina's pretty good, you know. And you've also got, uh, or at least this past year they were. And then you've always got historically really good FCS programs in the state as well. There's just not as many. And that's why Auburn and Alabama are always really, you know, pretty good, even before Alabama went on its streak. Um, but Clemson and South Carolina have kind of gone up and down. But the whole point of all this is, is is spot recruiting Alabama is smart, especially in a year where, you know, you need to steal a couple of guys that are better than people think. And um, this kid, Craig, to me, fits that mold. The recruiting finish line this year is going to be interesting because I, I don't even know that there will be like a a finish line. <laughs> If that makes any sense, I think that Carolina's going to be looking for players for for the foreseeable future, if that makes any sense. And we'll see kind of how all, it, uh, all of it gets, uh, yeah, I guess, filtered in, for lack of a better term, uh, to the class. All right, mailbag time. And I appreciate you folks with the mailbag. Uh, you get the mailbag questions in two ways. Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Or you can tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Um, and look, it's been um, it's been pretty good with the uh, with the questions and, and the following of the Big Spur Pod Twitter account. We're almost up to five hundred followers. Awesome, awesome. So. The first one comes in, and it's more of a comment. It comes in from Phil. He's got Trey Hannibal will be an outstanding football player. He's built like one, too. Aggressive and instinctual. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> I think he'd be a pretty good corner. Um, maybe a running back, receiver, that type of thing. So, yeah, just don't uh, – don't uh, if he makes the move sometime, don't count that out. So, it's uh, – it's uh, one of those things. So we'll see see what happens there. But uh, good idea, Phil. Good idea on that one. 
All right, you can get in inside the game at gmail.com and we're gonna roll over there. All right, Eric. Eric in Spartanburg actually says, Hey JC, I appreciate all the time you take to interact with listeners and patrons of the site. Keep up the good work. I was wondering about recruiting. Is it the conferences or the NCAA who has put on COVID restrictions, restrictions for recruiting? And do you think there's any indication some of the restrictions could be lightened in the near future? Of course, I believe that safety should be of the utmost importance, but at the same time, it does feel like if universities are going to continue recruiting athletes, it's almost a disservice to the university, but especially the athlete, to ask them to make decisions sight unseen. Like with anything else, I feel that with mass mandates, routine sanitation times carved out, and intentional social distancing, you could make it work practically like the rest of society is trying to do. Obviously, it would be at the discretion of the recruits and their families, but I feel like it could be done safely. I wonder if there'll be any adaptation made to the current rules. You might not be able to have big camps and parties, but official visits could take place at the very least. Sorry for the long-winded question, but if you read on the pod, feel free to paraphrase as necessary. No, that's a great question. And, and yeah, that, that's a big problem and very short-sighted. Number one, I understand, you know, with, with the players, you're not just trying to protect the young folks that are coming and visiting. Because you also have parents that come on visits that could have a litany of issues. You're also talking about coaches uh, who may have our staff members, that type of thing. Of course, you know, if you're going to have football uh, and you're going to have, um, you know, meetings and, and, and you're going to have class and things like that, you know, it, uh, who are you? What, what are you really trying to do? The NCAA fundamentally doesn't like recruiting because they can't do anything about people that make money off covering it because they, they they never intended for anyone to cover it uh, because they can't make money off of it <laughs> because their stance is you should not talk about it or publicize it. And it's just become uh, uncontrollable for them. So So they do everything they can with the hopes that, you know, it becomes less interesting for you guys, the fans, and that's just never going to happen. Now, is the motivation here that I don't know, because you also have folks that represent other schools and conferences that don't like the way that the SEC recruits or the Big Ten recruits or whoever, and they're jealous and they're trying to get a leg up and they're like, okay, we're just going to shut it down. Um, but, but you're absolutely correct in saying it's fundamentally unfair to the prospective student athletes and their families. I mean, unbelievably unfair. You know, you, you can't have a, a socially distanced face-to-face conversation with your future coach. I mean, it, it's tough. Uh, and, and, you know, you can say what you want about getting things done and, and building relationships over Zoom, but you know as well as I do, uh, you know, your feel and your comfort level for a place, it, it's really defined by how you feel when you're at that place. Does that make sense? So I uh, I have big issues with it, and there's no indication it's changing. Right now it's through April 15th. I would hope as the vaccine again spreads that they would lighten up a little bit. You know, I, I think that maybe if, if you don't want coaches to go on the road and go into high schools, that's fine. But I think should you allow small groups of – student athletes to come on campus and visit, uh, you know, five, six at a time. I don't, I don't see the problem with that. Um, but it's the NCAA. And like I said, they hate recruiting. 
and everything about it. And so they're, they're going to do everything they can. That was the first thing to go, if you remember that. Before they started canceling anything, they just like, oh, no, uh, dead period. Automatic dead period, you know. So uh, I do think it's very, very unfair. Very unfair to players. And I think the problem, the unintended consequences of this are going to be in two years, you're going to see the portal very, very full. <laughs> Because guys are going to get to the, you know, they're going to get back out in the world. And they're going to go to a school that they they committed to sight unseen, they've never been to, and then it's nothing like they imagined. And it's hard enough as it is, and your 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 comfort level is going to go away really quick. Um, you know, like all these guys that signed with Tennessee. I mean, look, do do we really think most of these guys are going to stick? Depending on who they hire, now if they hire the right guy. Maybe they do stick, but I mean, you look, I mean, they had 19 guys sign, Tennessee did, 19. And most of these guys are sight unseen guys. You know, and most of them aren't from Tennessee. So, I mean, you, you, you kind of, uh, to me, it's just kind of, I don't know, it's just one of those things where it doesn't do anybody any good for uh, things to roll this way uh, in recruiting with the sight unseen thing, you know, because I, I guarantee you that some of these players that committed to Tennessee over Zoom, uh, if they'd have visited and visited other schools, other schools would have had a little bit better uh, chance, I guess, to turn them. But that's just kind of what happened. So, you live with it and you move forward. But uh, I, 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 I agree completely, Eric, with uh, the entire thing. You know, this is this is very fundamentally unfair uh, in terms of how they're treating these kids as far as their decisions. So I, I, I believe with all my heart that, uh, that this is going to come back and bite the entire system uh, because, uh, I mean, the NCAA panicked over COVID as it was. And, you know, they, then then it's it's this. And I think in football specifically, you're going to see a very, very uh, full <laughs> transfer portal here in a couple of years. So Noah says, JC, with the current roster, who do you think would make the best safety duo for Carolina? It seems like Beamer's gotten a lot of corners, which you can never have too many of, but safety looks like a possible concern. I would say this, do not pay attention to, and I say this over and over again, do not pay attention to the defensive back being listed as a CB or a safety coming out of high school in our database of 24-7 sports or on Rivals or ESPN. That's not the position necessarily that they're best suited to play. That's either what position they're playing in high school or that's the position that they're projected as by recruiting analysts and it's only right 60% of the time. Uh, so I think – and I think, too, it's so much easier to switch corners to safety than safeties to corners because guys that are projected at corner have some sort of skill set with hips and uh, coverage ability and all that. You know, and also don't take the last few years when the, the, the secondary was a dumpster fire um, but had a lot of good individual players – uh, and I know Muschamp did the cross training and all that. Don't don't get upset at cross training and crap all over that um, just because of what happened with that unit the last few years, which was a 
this past year, that unit was shockingly bad considering the talent they had back there. You know, considering the players they had on the back end, the secondary was shockingly bad. And you just, you can't get around it. But but don't don't hold that against the guys Beamer's recruiting because, look, I, and I'll tell you now, you know, as far as who the best safety duo is, it's probably going to be Jalen Dickerson and then one of the young guys, Joey Hunter, maybe O'Donnell Fortune, maybe, uh, maybe even a Marcellus Dial uh, or an Isaiah Norris coming in from JUCO. Uh, that, that's kind of the feel I get with it. Uh, and don't forget, you got to find Spurs too. So, you know, everybody may be listed as a corner right now, but <laughs> that's probably going to change. But, you know, I, I, I do think that if you just look at it like CB, 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 well, who's the safety? And it's kind of like, well, you know, <laughs> they're a little light. But uh, Torian Gray certainly knows what he's doing and knows how to get the best five out there. And you're going to hear that, you know. But like I said, don't you know, don't think take everything that the Muschamp staff did as, as like, okay, that was bad. Okay. And that's why this, you know, I hear from people a lot. Well, they cross-trained everybody at corner and safety. So that's why they were bad in the secondary. Now that's not why they were bad in the secondary. Uh it was a team deal. A team deal. Even the guys that we all thought played pretty well, like J.C. Horn, were guilty of things at times back there that caused the breakdowns. Um, so just give Torian Gray a chance to put it together. I'm curious to see how it does. Because I do think there's some guys on the roster, Noah, like a Joey Hunter, that I, I think Hunter probably projects better at safety. Probably O'Donnell Fortune, too. So, you know, and they were kind of at corner and moving back and forth or whatever. So, uh, I think they'll figure all that out in the spring. And you never know, some guys may move over uh, to the other side of the ball from offense. Hudson says, his, his email is entitled Hope. What's up, JC? Been a while since I've emailed. I've been watching things play out over the last month or so. must say I am pumped for next fall. For the first time in a few years, I have real hope for the program and feel excitement inside the fan base. Two questions on this, and both are a little vague, but which transfer do you see having the most impact next season? If you had to make a prediction right now for next season's record, what would it be? I'll do the prediction one. I hate – I'm not going to do predictions. I usually give a final prediction. I didn't give a prediction this year, because, and I'll tell you why. Okay, so I've been off a little bit. So 2016, I said, well, this team can get to 6-6. and And the team finished six and six. 2017, you're looking at the schedule and you didn't know that everybody was going to collapse. I said, if this team goes six and six again, it gets to a bowl, great. Well, they went nine and four. So I was off. So then you think, well, 2018. And I said, I I think, well, nine and four, they they jumped from three wins to six wins to nine wins. You know, there's no reason why with a revamped offense and all those players coming back, they can't go 11 and two. Well, they didn't. And uh, if you think about it, though, in 2018, you blew the Florida game. You lost to A&M by three. And then, you know, who's to say that you would have lost the bowl had it been a different bowl? I don't know. Had Debo have played? I don't know. Um, and then, you know, so that's two, and that would have gotten you to ten. Uh, and then at Kentucky – was a game where all of us, well, Jake 
Bentley just uh, was not on target on a lot of them, and then he had a lot of drops. That game plan was very similar to what they did against Clemson when they rolled up on those yards, and there were players open down the field. They just didn't connect. So you got to think in that game you connect on a few more long ones, and um, you're right there. So th- they weren't too many plays away from that, believe it or not, during that seven and six year. I'm not justifying it, but you can kind of see my um, – intentions there or my idea there and it wasn't wasn't terrible um so then 2019 i said eight and four and they went four and eight and then that's when i quit giving predictions but that's also a will muschamp coach football team (laughs) so you just know that you never can predict those right so for 2021 i think this i think south carolina should beat eastern illinois east carolina on the road troy at home and vanderbilt at home Uh, i think at tennessee unless they Come back together. That's a definitely a winnable game. Uh, I think Kentucky at home is a winnable game, and that gets you to six. Uh, I, I also think when you look at Florida, I, I, they lose a lot of personnel. The, the really difference makers off last year's team. Uh, Carolina goes to Missouri. That's becoming a tougher game. I can't believe I'm sitting here in shock. South Carolina's lost two games in a row to Missouri. But a lot of times, uh, you know, the Gamecocks will go and uh, turn that. You know, they'll turn that 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 series pretty quick. But that was on the road. Uh, you got Georgia in Athens is going to be tough. Clemson at home was going to be difficult. I don't know that Clemson's going to be quite as good as they have been, but they're still going to be really good. I mean, Clemson's got everybody – like I think 11 players – 11 starters back on defense. So – uh, going to be very difficult to beat the Tigers. But, you know, you, you're sitting there looking at it. You got five that you should win, you know. Uh, I'm saying you know a lot. <laughs> uh, and then at Tennessee, and then, you know, Florida, Missouri. So, so can this team get to six or seven? Yeah. Uh, is it going to be difficult? Yes. I mean, Carolina this year needs uh, – they find, need to find a lot of answers – at some, a lot of positions, and they need to stay healthy. I mean, that's the that's the whole thing. New system on offense. How's the quarterback play going to be? That could mean a lot, depending on who the quarterback is. You know, Luke Doty definitely has to make a step forward as a passer, which he's more than capable of doing. Will they get the Jason Brown kid in? How's he going to factor into it? That type of thing. Any other newcomers? And and so you look at it like that. Um, Who's going to step up at receivers? Obviously, very important. I think Carolina's got some answers at tight end slash H back because there will be H backs in this offense, and and it will be a little different. Um, you know, Justin Step obviously has his work cut out for him to coach these guys up, but I also think that you know power of positive momentum and persuasion can help some of the younger guys. Rico Powers, Jakari Caldwell. Uh, come to mind, Amari uh, and Brown coming in from Georgia Tech is going to be a big factor. Uh, you know, who else are they going to get from the portal receiver-wise? Uh, how good is Xavier Leggett going to be next year? Because he was coming on a little bit and then got hurt, didn't wasn't healthy for like eight games. So what, what, what's, what's going to be the deal? Now, now, look, South Carolina does have this. All hope is not lost. That's what people that tell you – Oh, this is a worse situation than what Spurrier left. It's really not. 
because the, there's really some positions you look at and go, oh, they're going to be okay. You know, at least they have a a, a, a foundation, like running back. Uh, you got Kevin Harris coming back who did, um, you know, over a 1,000 yards last year in the SEC. Uh, you have Marshawn Lloyd, who was a five-star back, who was going to start before he got hurt. You have Rashad Amos, who's very promising, and Caleb McDowell coming in. Uh, offensive line returns five starters. Uh, I know they lose Hutcherson, but Jordan Rhodes comes back, and he was a starter. So five guys that are starters – and then seven guys that have started at least one game. That's a lot of lot for Greg Atkins to work with. So you've got an offensive line and two really good running backs to start with on off, offense. Um, defensively, you look at the front uh, and defensive line, and, and you can kind of line it up. Enik Barre, Pickens. Uh, then you either got Ellis Sandage or Jakeem Green. And then you got uh, on the other side, Jordan Birch. You know, all those guys are very capable uh, and, and behind, you know, like I said, Rick Sanders, Jakeem Green, Jabari Ellis, you got a nice four man rotation right there at D tackle before you're even talking about guys like Boogie Huntley going into his second year or Nick Barrett, who's a freshman who'll be there early. Um, at end, you know, Aaron Sterling comes back. Obviously, I've, I've never really thought uh, every down defensive end for Aaron Sterling, but uh. I do think he's a guy that can get in there and make plays. And and also Taka Hemingway comes back at the other end, who, when he played last year, played pretty well. So your front looks pretty good defensively. You know, you got to find some li- – linebacker took a big hit when Ernest Jones left. Uh, and so you, you got to find some answers there. Is Sherrod Green an answer? Uh, Damani Staley, to me, is, is a guy that could possibly be a starter but could also be – maybe more suited as a, as a special teams role player type. Muhammad Kaba needs to make a step. Uh, Jordan Strong comes in as kind of that outside linebacker position that can rush the passer. Is he going to be a stand-up guy? I mean, he's, is he going to be one of your one of your two in the four two five? What What exactly is he going to do? That's a question. Daryl Debo Williams, uh, who's a transfer, but you got to consider him more like a true frosh uh, out of Delaware. I think he can provide some help. Uh, at backer uh, I think they're continuing to look for guys as well as you know Jamar Brown is Jamar Brown going to be the the spur type guy because uh, I, I think I think it's spur you could almost I hate to say this because maybe you know maybe you can't because I you know coverage wise I've seen enough out of Brown to like him but not know if he's capable of doing it every down and then Roderick obviously struggled mightily in coverage last year uh, but but you, but you look at those two and you look and you think back to the spur position and you're like, yeah, those two guys are spurs. You know, you, you would probably say that. So are they going to be spurs? Are they going to be outside backers? Uh, you know, are, are you who who's starting? You know, so, so, so linebackers got questions, but there, there are some answers. And the fact you only play two uh, and you got Jordan Strawn in, I think that's good. Uh, in the secondary, obviously, the previous email mentioned it. You, you, you definitely got your work cut out for you. Um, Cameron Smith's really the only guy coming back, along with Jalen Dickerson. And then it's just a bunch of new guys, question marks, however you want to put it. I mean, that the, the portal killed that part of the defense for Carolina, secondary-wise. So, uh, I don't know. Hopefully, even without the individual talent back there, Maybe they play more like a team 
and more like a unit. It wouldn't surprise me at all if you see less guys on the back end end up in the NFL, but it's a much better defensive backfield. And the defensive line, the front, the front seven can help that if the front is is pretty good. So we'll see what happens there. So there's there's a baseline of talent here that was not here when Muschamp took over. So it's not as bad roster-wise. Now, culture-wise, mentality-wise, confidence-wise, absolutely. These guys need a big shot of belief. <laughs> and hopefully the schedule stays like it is because, you know, Eastern Illinois, East Carolina, you know, maybe they get a break and the SEC openers, either Kentucky at home or Vandy at home or it's at Missouri, something like that, something manageable. And they get a break and then get off to a good start because that's that's going to help later on uh, in the uh, in the season. But, you know, they need confidence. They need confidence. Uh, and I said that heading into this season. And, and you, it was amazing that the big they get the big confidence building win and, and just kind of what happened during the Muschamp era. And then that LSU game was that next week. And then two weeks later, we're talking about a coaching change because it, it just got that bad that quick. And it's unfortunate, you know, because I think uh, – I don't know. I, I don't know what to think in terms of, you know, hey, they needed confidence. They got a confidence-building win at Vandy, a big confidence-boosting win against Auburn. They play an LSU team that's very, very down, and then they get just waxed. And that's, that's tough. Now, heading into this past season – uh, I felt like the schedule was very manageable because you had Coastal and you had East Carolina to open the season, and then you had Missouri at home, and then you went at Kentucky. And obviously the Kentucky and Missouri games didn't turn out this year like you thought, but in a normal year, you know, Carolina would have gotten momentum, et cetera, et cetera. Um, who knows what would have happened. <laughs> also, you could speculate that Coastal would have come in and beaten them, and that would have accelerated the downfall. But I, I don't know about that. I, I think Coastal probably would have given them a better game than people thought, probably a better game than East Carolina would the week after. But I don't know that it's – it's. Uh, I don't know. We'll see kind of what happens there. But the, uh, the, you look at the schedule for next year, Eastern Illinois comes in as the opener, and then – at East Carolina that next week, that's a good challenge game. That's a good game to go because ECU, I think they'll be th- year three of Mike Houston, kind of a rebuild. They're going to point toward that game as a measuring stick, and Carolina needs to go up there and do what they, you know, they should do and win. Uh, and then you come back and do whatever. So uh, we'll see kind of how all that goes. Uh, I, I think that it's uh, the SEC schedule should be out, I believe. This week sometime. And so we'll obviously talk about all of that then. But thank you so much, Hudson, uh, for your – oh, wait a minute. You asked me what transfer do I see having the most impact next year. I mentioned this. uh, I think probably Jordan Strong uh, on defense. I I mean, you said – I got the defensive question last week. Overall right now out of the five, uh, Amari and Brown probably by – a good bit just because it's the number one position of need. He was Tech's best player as a freshman. He's fast. He's at least as good as Shy Smith, probably better from what I've heard. And so that's going to be 
that could be the number one receiver. The others, you know, who knows what's going to happen. But I said strong on defense, maybe green, but Brown definitely on offense. So overall transfers going with Amarion Brown as the most biggest impact. Billy says, JC, thanks for your informative opinion and analyze, analyzation. Analysis. That's what that's what I meant to read there. Analysis. I misread that. Of our beloved Gamecocks, your podcast make a long work day go by quicker. I have a quick question regarding analyst positions. Do you know how many are allowed on each side of the ball? And can you comment on the roles of an analyst? Yes. Um, an analyst is what it is. It, they basically analyze. They, they talk. They, they give. Feed, they watch practice and games. They watch tape. They give feedback on personnel scheme. Uh, whatever you're analyzing out there, that's what they're doing. They can't coach. In other words, they can't run drills uh, and, and do all that, get out there and actual coach. Um, you, I don't think you're limited to the number of analysts you can have uh, in football, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe you are. I'd, uh, limit, and I'm going to Google, Google it right now. Limit on number of analysts. College football, but I, I think they're unlimited. Not sure. Okay, 10. You may have 10 analysts. So that's uh, that's the number there. Uh, according to – according to oh, – oh, Chuck Culpepper <laughs> of the Washington Post. So um, – so, yeah, he read all this. He's got a very biased slant towards everything and says it's when colleges want more coaches than they're allowed to have. But I don't know. I think uh, I think that's what it is. So, so yeah, you can you – can, I, I knew it was quite a bit. South Carolina's never really had, you know, that many analysts on their staff. But they're guys that can help. They can help your program and – you know, Ellis Johnson was an analyst. I've told the story many times where his job was to self-scout the offense because, you know, Ellis is a defensive coach, high-level defensive coach. So if he's sitting there breaking down the offense, trying to stop it, and he's telling you it's very predictable, unbelievably predictable, and you don't do anything with that information, then then you should have been fired. That's exactly uh, what happened to Kurt Roper uh, after it happened. Um in the early stages of the Muschamp era. Uh, South Carolina has hired some more. I mean, so Shaq Wilson is an analyst that they brought on. I think there's another couple of guys that um, that they have that they brought in. I mentioned Taylor Edwards. That's not an analyst. That's a uh, on-field recruiting guy. So, you know, you can look at that. Um, I don't know. Uh, Larry, so I'll get the uh, – this guy, Joe Bowen from Florida State, is another guy that the Gamecocks have have come in. So he's uh he's coming to South Carolina from FSU. So we'll see kind of what happens. Um, and then there's different strength coaches are different too. So like what Byron Gerardo is doing is fundamentally different than what uh, our guy. Uh, Shaq Wilson's doing just to just to make that just to make that clear. So we'll see kind of how everything goes. But this Joe Bowen guy, a lot of his players really like him and, and things like that. Um, 
and Florida State, as you know, they needed they needed some guys that you know the players like down there this year, if that makes sense. So we'll see what happens. But anyway, so Joe Bowen is the latest analyst to join the staff under Shane Beamer at South Carolina. That's all the time we have for today on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Don't forget, this is a double shot day because uh, I'm dumb and didn't hit the uh, hit the button. Uh, so uh, you get the Friday mailbag episode, you can catch up on it, then you get this one right here on a Tuesday. We'll be back later in the week with more of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Remember, if you want the mailbag at the Big Spur Pod or Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. We will talk to you guys soon. Have a great, great day.